Hey there, how you doing? Thank you very much for listening to this episode. However, before you get started, I just wanted to let you know that my guest in this episode will be talking about suicidal thoughts and detailing how he was considering taking his own life. Now, as much as I'd love for you to listen to this episode and take something away from it, if the idea of listening to someone detail how they're going to take their own life is triggering to you, do me a favour and just skip this episode. I just don't want you to be in that place at all. And for anyone that is going to listen to this episode and may resonate with some of the things that are being said in it, there are charities out there can support you. Talk to people. Do not go this alone. Here in the UK, we've got Samaritans amongst other charities that can support you. If you're in the USA or any other country, just Google suicide charities and I'm sure a number of them will pop up on your search. Do yourself a favour and do that because it's serious and I don't want anyone to be in that situation. So without further ado, if you would get triggered by the idea of someone discussing suicidal thoughts, please skip this episode. If you're okay with it, continue. See you in a bit. He knows something that obviously I don't know or I'm refusing to acknowledge. And then I said to him, listen, dude, I don't want nothing to do with you. Just tell her to come out here, please. And my demeanor is that of someone who's realizing the inevitable. So she comes out and he's standing there as the enforcer. And I'm talking to her, asking her, like, what's going on here? And she lays it on me crystal clear. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. So, hello, sir. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, brother. How are you? I'm very well, very well. I'm so grateful, so honored to have you here on my podcast because, you know, why not reciprocate? I was on yours. I had the pleasure of being on your podcast. And I just thought, boy, I think I divulged to you the most about this podcast and how passionate I was about this. Even though I'm like, I done told this guy already in his episode about it, but I was just that passionate about it. I thought, you know what? Need to get Kelly on because he's that guy. No, listen, I am humbled by the invitation and I thank you for actually being a part of something that we've spoken about and you've actually done it and you are doing it. So I'm excited to be here and contribute to what is an amazing concept and project. Oh, much appreciated. So for those of you that don't know and are new to the whole concept of this, um, Every L Podcast is just a shortened version of Every L is Not a Loss. In life, you're handed L's and you may think that your now is your forever and through the different stories that different guests will come on and talk about it will show you that they've also encountered L's in their lives but looking back in hindsight maybe the L's they received wasn't actually now itself it was something else and that's what we're going to explore a little bit further so so I'm going to rattle off the first one that Kelly's going to be nice enough to share with us actually no back up back up before I do that that was very rude of me I'm so sorry Kelly I know you some of the listeners might know you but for those that don't know you, please tell them what you feel comfortable sharing about your family situation and what you do for a job. 
and obviously share about your podcast. Uh, my name is Kelly Jean-Philippe from the United States of America. I reside in the city of Philadelphia. Born and raised. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't go around smacking people around. That's not a wow. thing that, <laughs> that every Philly resident or native does. That's just a, that was just Flip. a bad, yeah, man, that was just bad publicity, but also pretty accurate publicity, but that's a different, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just a whole different, different topic. It just happens when the cameras are not on them. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Which, <laughs> listen, I, I'll, t- I'll put it to you this way. Not a single person in Philly was like, oh my gosh, that was so unexpected. <laughs> we were all like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Me personally, I didn't agree with it, but yeah, I yeah. can't say that the actions were surprising or shocking in any way. That's that's like a, a Wednesday night in Philly. Wow. Anyway, some parts of Philly, actually. Um, but back to serious business. I am a father of one, became a parent during the pandemic in 2020. My son is about to be two years old at the end of May. And he's at the stage right now where he is challenging everything, um, a lot more vocal and a lot more able to put sentences together. And so fatherhood is my mind frame right now. And um, yeah, I host a podcast called Welcome to Fatherhood Podcast that is available on every podcasting platform. And I owe all of the success or lack thereof of the podcast to this journey of fatherhood and to my son who continues to be the source of inspiration behind that project. That's nice. That's nice. And you are so eloquent in how you speak and your mindfulness of the questions you're asking when it's around sensitive topic is just so amazing. So I draw inspiration from you. I'd love to be as eloquent as yourself. We'll see how we go. Um, but I'm sure my guests are setting the bar way too high, bro. What we're going to do is jump into it. So before we continue, guys, girls, everyone, however you identify, go look at Welcome to Fatherhood. Just drop it a listen because it's not just guys in there. Sometimes you do get older female in there and it's just talking about parenthood, something that a lot of us can relate to. And if you're not a parent yet, it might be something you're considering and get a bit of insider knowledge is really valuable at this stage. Trust me. So let's go on to the first L you want to discuss, which is your ex-fiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hope your current wife is not present. So that might oh, be no, she's, she, she's totally okay with that. There is no threat whatsoever. We are, we are good. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. I'm not trying to, um, you know, peel off any scabs right now and cause it to start no. gushing out of blood. No, no, so. no, 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 no. All right. So from the top, when did you meet and why did it go left? instead of right. Okay. So just to frame things in the proper perspective, I am happily married. Number one, number two, my wife is not a rebound. Number three, everything that I'm about to talk about is 10 years plus in the past. Okay. All right. So just to frame it in that way. Yeah. Um, But that period was such a crucial moment in who I am today. That's why when you approach me with um, this invitation, immediately 
that was like the first place my mind went to. I think that the loss, loss in general, however that's defined, can really shape or reshape someone's outlook for better or worse. I think there is something to be said about the loss of a relationship, particularly a romantic relationship that can drive people or that can drive someone. And it certainly drove me to bounds that I never thought I would ever reach in my life. And, uh, so yeah, so let's just get right into it. Um, I met this young lady and I'm going to refrain from using her name. That's fair. Uh, but I met this young lady when I was a junior in high school. So what age is that for us, us over in the UK? In the U, let's see, for you UK folks, I was 16 or 17 years old. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, there was an age difference between us, uh, about two and a half, three years, I think. Yeah. So that's when, that's when we met, uh, we met at church and at first she was into me, but I was not into her, but we fast forward, we got into a relationship and we were in a relationship for seven years. Whoa. Um, when I graduated high school and went to college, uh, I went away from my home state to a different state. And so we were young immature our relationship was not solid or strong enough to endure a long distance relationship but we did it anyway and we try to make it work and we did make it work for the most part but my going away to college um was what really tested began to test the structure of our relationship um Man, I made some stupid mistakes, bro. One of them being when I was in college, I decided that I wanted to revisit my player days. Ooh. And so I started dating someone who was on campus and had my girlfriend back home here in Philly. Okay. But I'm a person who has a conscience. And so my conscience wouldn't just let me keep it a secret. And so I ended up telling my girlfriend back home, what I had been doing. And so that just added a whole different layer of dynamic to, to the relationship. Right. Yeah. We're being transparent, right? I could, I yeah. could keep going, keep going, keep going. All right. Great. So during that time, it was on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off for four years of college. Mm -hmm. So when I finally got back to Philly post-college, she had also done her things during that time period in retaliation as a result of what I put her through, which was justifiable and understandable. But again, we're young adults. We're trying to figure out ourselves. We're trying to figure out life. We're trying to figure out our footing in our place. But I had invested, we had invested so much into each other and our relationship. And at that point, I felt such a great sense of remorse and the remorse came from a place of watching my father be unfaithful to my mother yeah, and me being uh, angry at my father for doing that to my mom and saying that I would never do that to someone that I love and finding myself in a place where I did that to someone who I love. 
And so I felt a great sense of remorse. So come hell or high water, I was going to make this relationship work. So graduate from college, um, I come back home to Philly. I turn my back on a full-time paying job on campus at a moment where the U.S. economy was in crisis due, due to a recession. I turn my back on a full-time job to come back to Philly. I have no job. I have no plan. Uh, I have no, no prospect of anything. My main goal was to come and salvage my relationship that at that point was what, five, six years in? Yeah. And um, we try to make it work, but then nothing happens in a day. Little by little, the foundations of the relationship had been withering ever since things were going on with me and her in college. And I remember very clearly that one of our mutual friends that we met at church or that we knew from church, I was talking to our mutual friend and um, her and her husband said to me, you know, she is not treating you right. You know, she's probably with somebody else. Right. And I was like, no, man, I can't, I can't No, That's, that's not, it can't be absolutely not. Man, in retrospect, I did not see all the red flags and I did not see all of the evidence that was pointing to this young lady wants nothing to do with me anymore. She's already pitching her tent on another field. Um, but it, I was the last one to see it. Almost everyone around me saw it. In fact, the young man that she started uh, a relationship with while she was still with me was someone that she worked with. And when I would go pick her up from work, sometimes I would interact with this individual. No. I knew where this individual lived. No. This individual invited me into his home. Wow. So I met his parents. I met his sisters. No. She would hang out at his house. In fact, she started sleeping over his house. And even all of that, I'm saying to myself, no, man, like this is, I, I was so lenient because of the remorse that I felt. They're just cool people. They're, this ain't really happening. It, this is not really happening because I proposed to her. January 1st, I don't remember what year, I proposed to her. She has a ring that I put on her finger while she is hanging out in this young man's house. Now, I can't say what was happening and what was not happening. Yeah. But I can tell you this. Whenever I would say to her, hey, let's do this, she would say, well, I'm going to see what he's doing. Or, or I remember buying her a pair of sneakers, white sneakers, because she said that she wanted a pair of white sneakers. So we went out, I bought her a pair of sneakers. And then a couple of weeks later, I was like, where are the sneakers I bought you? Oh, uh, they got messed up because so-and-so took me to the creek and then he got in the water and then he asked me to come in the water and I got in the water with the sneakers on and they got messed up. So all of these things was like starting to, to mount up and I was still not willing to accept that what was indeed happening was happening because I did not want to face 
the prospect of losing this person. Wow. So what happened? Um, one Friday evening, she comes over to my house. We hang out. And then she says, I'm going to go over to so-and-so's house. And I'm like, okay. That week, sensing that the relationship was slipping right from my hands, I went over to a supermarket. I bought her a bouquet of uh, roses, like a dozen or two dozen roses. And I knew she was hanging out in homeboy's house. So I drove over to my man's house and... I left the flowers hanging on the right passenger, front passenger rear view or side mirror of his car with a note in it so that when she came out, she would see it. Thinking that in some fantasy world, she might be like, oh my gosh, look, look at the length that he's trying to go to get me back. Let me turn back to this man. That is not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so that Friday she comes and she hangs out and then she says, I'm going to go to so-and-so's house and then I'm going to go home. So I said, no problem. So she goes to so-and-so's house and then Friday night comes, Friday night goes early Saturday morning, my phone rings and it's her mom saying to me, Hey, is she still over at your house? And I said, no, she said she was going to go to so-and-so's house and then she was going to go home. And mom says she never came home. So I said, okay, let me call so-and-so. So I called her phone. She doesn't answer. I called again. She doesn't answer. I called so-and-so and he picks up and I said, hey, is she over at your house? And he said, I had his number on my phone. <laughs> and he says, yeah, she's here, but she doesn't want to talk to you. And I said, tell her that I'm on my way. And he says to me, I don't think it's a good idea for you to come here. I said, excuse me, you talk, you talk about my girl, yeah, my fiance. Yep. So I drive over to his house and he lived like five minutes away from me. Oh my gosh. We lived on the same street name, but no. different parts. No. So it was like a five. Listen, dude, you can't make this stuff up, man. Um, I drive over to the house and. He comes out and I see her shadow at the window, but she is inside the house and he comes out. And now the look on his face when he comes out is that of a man who knows he has the upper hand. And so he comes out as an enforcer. Hey, man, she don't want to see you. I don't think you should come around here anymore. Like this is someone who has signed on the dotted line. And uh, he knows something that obviously I don't know or I'm refusing to acknowledge. And then I said to him, listen, dude, I don't want nothing to do with you. Just tell her to come out here, please. And my demeanor is that of someone who's realizing the inevitable. So she comes out and he's standing there as the enforcer. And I'm talking to her, asking her, like, what's going on here? And she lays it on me crystal clear. I'm not with you no more. I want nothing to do with you anymore. I'm with him now. And she turns around and she walks away with him back into the home. 
This was Saturday morning around 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. My world was shattered at that moment. I went into a tailspin that I can't even begin to describe because everything was like a blur. I remember going from their house back to my house, but I didn't want to stay in my house because I didn't want to see, I didn't want to see anybody and I didn't want anybody to see how I was doing. And so I went to a nearby church that was open and I went to the basement of that church and I just started crying uncontrollably. And then people came down, people who knew me, they came down and they saw me and they're trying to find out what's wrong with me, but I couldn't talk to anybody. So I left the church and I'm just driving around Philadelphia, not knowing what the hell just happened. I mean, that was not even the rug being pulled from underneath me. It was like the ground opening up and there was this bottomless pit that I was falling into. So fast forward into several months after and I just reached a point. I mean, I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. Um, this was a pretty public relationship that was going on for seven years. Um, this was a church relationship, you know, so so by church relationship, I mean, people from from our church were invested in our relationship, but now I'm showing up to church and she's not with me. And now people are asking me all of these things. People knew I was engaged to her. People knew. And now people are asking and people are asking and people are intensifying and people are reminding and people and people and people and people. And I got to a point where I was laying in bed and the idea occurred to me, you should take your own life. And I said, you know what? I think that would be stupid for me to take my own life because I have a bachelor's degree. I went to a prestigious undergraduate school. It would be stupid for me to put all of that to waste. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill him in front of her. So laying in bed, I had this clear thought and it was an out-of-body experience. I wish I could explain it to you in any other way. I'm laying there, and it's as if I saw myself outside of myself thinking about how I was going to carry this forward. And as clear as day, I saw myself driving to his house, getting both of them to come out, pulling out a gun, turning it on him, just to see the look of fear on their faces at first, and then turning the gun on myself, shooting myself in the mouth so that my brain splatter could fall on them. Wow. And for me, that was such a clear thing. And it was such a brilliant plan until my mind went a little bit further, almost like a camera zooming in through the hole in the back of my head to see the horror on their faces as I saw her turn to him for consolation. And my dead body was on the ground. And that's when I said, oh, hell no, 
literally over my dead body and I snapped out of it. No longer an option. No longer an option. And so in short, I had to get the hell out of Philadelphia. And I got out of Philadelphia. Um, my life just went into a tailspin for, for some time. I almost ended up homeless and in a different state. And um, I had to make a decision with only a few dollars in my pocket, uh, my car and my belongings and trash bags. And I'm like, I need to make a decision. I mean, I was so, I was so lost. I was so, so, I don't even know what the right word is, but I was not in a good place emotionally, spiritually, mentally. I was not in a good place, bro, because all of me was invested into that relationship. All of me was invested into that young woman. And um, when I lost her, I thought for a fact that I had lost absolutely everything. I can imagine. But you must have been tired. You must have been tired from all the thinking, all the questions, all this crying, Man. just just everything. Everything, dude. Everything. I there were questions that I was asking that I can't even put into words right now. Yeah. There were thoughts. I mean, Facebook was prominent, but not as prominent as it is now. And so I would constantly be checking Facebook to see what she was doing. So I became a stalker. Um, I be I was driving past his home just to see if she was there. Uh, I became a monster to myself, to other people. The depression that I fell in was bottomless. Um, I think I, I must've aged like a hundred years in that time period. I was not a pleasant person to be around. I just felt so isolated. Um, but thankfully, there were people around me who who helped carry me through that period. But yeah, man, tired doesn't even begin to describe what the totality of that time period felt like. But it encapsulates it pretty well. I was tired. You know what? I just got to thank you for the, the, the rawness of all of that, just to the excellent storytelling in terms of just painting a vivid picture of something that was so horrific for you to endure. I think it's quite clear and apparent that you did have support available to you, but it's not something you wanted to accept. And I think personally, I understand why. It's hard enough when you have questions and you don't know the answers, but when other people ask you questions and you don't still don't know the answers, how are you going to answer that? And then they're going to ask you a next question and a next question, the next question. You're thinking, I just, I'm hurting all over. I'm hurting all over. I'm trying to heal myself. And here you are just picking off any scabs that's possible coming up just because you want to know. Let me, when I know, I'll decide when I want to let you know, but I don't know a thing. Let, let me, let me say something about that. Go for it. Man, at that moment, there was not a thing someone could have told me to make me see the silver lining, the light at the end of the tunnel, the brighter side of things. You couldn't tell me anything. At that moment, how intense I was feeling all of those things, 
the person that I had become, I was not open, wanting, or receptive to anything that anyone could have possibly told me. It did feel in, in, in all of its totality that that was the end of everything. Like that, that, that was, that felt like, that moment felt like that would be my forever. I didn't have the capacity to think about a tomorrow where things would be better. I didn't want to entertain and I couldn't entertain any perspective that was offered to me to say that there would be someday that I would look back on that moment and reflect and see objectively the things that I ought to see in reflecting in that moment. It, it, you, you couldn't tell me anything. A friend, a really good friend of mine, that same couple that, that warned me first that, you know, this was happening. I called on them that Saturday when the ground opened up and I started falling into this bottomless pit. And I said to them, please come to the house because I need, I just need people that I care about to be there with me. And so they came over. Um, I am the godson I'm the godfather of their son. And at that time, my little man was a couple of months old. They're church folks. And so they come over to the crib and, you know, they're trying to tell me from a, from a good place. It came from a good place, trying to console me. And, you know, the, the things that at that moment come off as platitudes, you know what I mean? Like, God has a purpose and I, I'm, bro, I'm not trying to hear that. You don't <laughs> try to hear that at all. I'm not trying to hear all that, man. Give me something practical. Give me something tangible right now. I'm hurting. Matt, don't give me anything at all, but your silence and your presence. Yeah. Like that's all I needed. That is all I needed. So, um, yeah, I, I want like that's something that I feel like it's important for 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 me to say when I was going through that moment, you couldn't offer me anything. You could not offer me anything to help me see the brighter side of things except for the presence of people because I wanted I needed to know that for as worthless as I was feeling for as insignificant as I was. Dude, that's seven years, man. And when you're that young, that's a big chunk of your life, especially when it's your, you've made the decision to get in a relationship. You know, because when you're younger, your parents are the ones that are holding it down, making decisions for you. But this is you making a conscious decision. You made your mistake. You owned up to it. You then dedicated your time to this relationship to the point where you were seeing things but you weren't seeing things yeah. because you didn't want to see the yeah, things yeah. that were right in front of yeah, you. Yeah. She had a ring on her finger, which set you back. I don't care how much you paid for it. You still went out your way to go get, find it. Homie. <laughs> Yo, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone has ever felt discarded. Like you go to a fast food restaurant, you order your cheeseburger or, or I sound so American right now. You order your cheeseburger and your fries and your soda. It looks American too. 
<laughs> <laughs> and that meal comes with uh with with uh napkins. Yeah. You get all greased up, you take the napkins, you wipe your mouth with it, and you throw it away. I was that napkin. I was that napkin. You don't even think about it. You don't throw that napkin away and you say, oh my gosh, that napkin was such an essential piece to a pleasant meal experience. No, it was just a piece of paper that was used to- It served its purpose. Service and in the trash it goes. Whatever no happens to it from here on out, it's it's really up to that napkin. I'm gonna go on to my, you know, to live my life and that piece of paper that's all crumbled up now is in the trash. I was that piece of paper. I was like a lint that was stuck on someone's sweater and you just plucked it and flicked it off. Like that was that feeling. So <laughs> that's your part in that story. Basically, you know what I mean? And again, I'm not sitting here saying that I didn't have a role to play in how things got there. Yeah. It takes two to tango and I tangled to the wrong music. I'll admit to that. Yeah. But that feeling right there, man, that that is a hopeless feeling. And so in that moment, what was important was to have people who helped me feel something different than the feeling that I had internalized and believed. I mean, I put stock in like that's what I was. I was worthless. I was useless. I was uh, disposable and I had no value. That's, that's, that's what I assumed about myself and believed about myself. And I can't speak highly enough of the people who, in spite of how I was feeling about myself, saw me in a way that was totally different from that. And who were those people? My, my ride or dies, my two sisters. Nice. Um, my core group of friends from college, including the young lady that I had cheated on that girlfriend with, who became and is still to this day one of the closest people to me. Nice. Um, that couple from church. Yep. And a couple of other people that life threw my way who were really instrumental that is that is super powerful i think that's why i really like that idea of this podcast because it highlights the fact and this is a phrase where my head's at and i really like it and it's the fact that nothing about a caterpillar tell you it's going to be a butterfly and that's what these stories tell you yeah yeah. you're in your situation you're thinking this is and i'm not trying to say caterpillars are ugly please don't take that from the message but it's not particularly um, pretty in comparison to that of a butterfly yeah but you just look at the situation that we just heard you tell and it doesn't sound anywhere like you're going to be in a situation where you're happily married got a beautiful son and you know you've got a great career you're highly educated you've got your podcast and any other endeavors that you're doing but i'm sure that was never a thing that you thought was ever going to be in the horizon for you after your world just shattered and the world just opened up and gobbled you up more so than the Grand Canyon could if you tripped and fell into it. Absolutely.
question for you. Yeah. Do you think if you didn't cheat on her and she found out, do you think this would have ended up this way? Not this part of your life here? Yeah. The latter part of the relationship? That's a very good question. Um, it's hard to answer that question because I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know. It's one of those things that I think we could put in a multiverse simulation and see how it would turn out. Yeah. But I don't know. My hope is that, well, it's not even a hope because that's in the past. I would like to think that had things been handled with more maturity on my side and her side, we would have found a way to, even if it ended up in, in us not being together anymore, it would have been a more amicable thing. Yeah. But there was so much that festered. There was so much animosity towards the end that it was literally, we were enemies. Like yeah. someone who, you know, you profess your love to and now was your arch enemy. Yeah. And so it, it's hard to answer that question, bro. That's fine. And the only reason I ask the question is because, one, I know if I was listening to this, I will know the answer to that question. Yeah. And two, I'm thinking, could the blessing be in the fact that because you did that and because you admitted to it, what she's capable of doing came to the fore rather than you getting long-term invested into her? It, imagine it wasn't just a ring. It was a whole marriage. It was potentially another human being involved in the relationship. Could have been pets, could have been a home, could have been everything. And then you might have been homeless for a different reason. I'll, I'll say this to you. After many years of reflection, I think that I would not have been one, the person that I am today, or even potentially alive to be able to tell this story had I indeed married that young lady. Not because of who she is intrinsically as a person, but because of the ugliness that I saw in her and the ugliness that I saw first and foremost in myself. Now understanding what it takes to be in a committed marriage and understanding that part of being married to someone is that you're exposed to aspects of that person that you otherwise would not know and vice versa. Had those things come out to your point within the marital relationship, I am afraid to think about what I would have done or what I could have done to her being so close to me. You know, just thinking about the things that I wanted to do and there was distance between us, physical distance between us because we weren't living in the same house, even though I had access to her. But it scares me to think about the monster that was revealed in me during that time being in physical proximity to the monster that emerged from her and what we could have done to each other. That's telling. Um, I think a lot of us may not, can, will probably struggle to identify that unless we've been through something similar. 
and we actually play that simulation out in our head. I'm very much a person of, you know, in my job, I help people that are not in a very good position. And I'm here, I'm here for it. I'm here to have those conversations. And when they say, oh, but what if this happens? That's cool. Let's talk about it. Because I want to simulate that. Because if the worst thing that's going to happen is a no, that's cool. But you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So try it. Things might work out well. But if they're not going well and you can't see it changing, then you might have to try a different approach to the situation. I want to know, and I think we're going to have to do this in a two-part because I think this one's very heavy and I think it just needs its own space to breathe. Mm. I, I would like to ask, when you went through your spiraling situation mm-hmm. and you was free falling how is it that you got yourself out of that especially when you had those self-harming thoughts i know you said that you had that out of body experience and you thought you know i've i've got my doctor and you know i've, I've done all this stuff mm-hmm. and i want to do this there's still for me it feels like there should be more in there but what was it what was a turning point for you that made you realize i need to put the effort in and before I let you answer that question, the reason I'm asking is because when I had my um, period of depression and I was explaining this to someone the other day, mm-hmm. it was very much like I treat you like you're on a bike in, in life. Mm-hmm. And when something traumatic happens to you, it's like you fall off the bike. Mm-hmm. And you realize at that point that the world's still moving, irrespective if you're on the bike or not. And then when, you, when you're when you obviously off the bike, you're in pain, you're hurting, mm-hmm. you then get, you have no motivation to get up. And then when you do want to get up, you're frustrated because everyone else is so much further along in life mm-hmm. than you because you have not kept up. So you have to muster up, not just the same amount of um, energy to stay in the same place, but you have to then double up or triple up the efforts you've got to do normally just to stay, just to keep up to where you was or where you meant to be. Mm-hmm if that makes sense. Um, but where was the turning point for you? I I, I, I know that that was a, oh, just hearing it, hearing the pain, he, like just, oh, it hurts. It hurts hearing it, letting on, experiencing what you've experienced. But what was the turning point for where you felt, I need to get out of this funk. I found my resolve. What was it? Man, that's a really good question. Reflecting on it now, I honestly don't know. I actually never stopped to think about that question or that time. What I did know was that, like I said earlier, I needed to get as far away as possible from the situation. And so within like a week, I got a car. And I moved cross state or cross country. Um, Philadelphia is on the upper northeastern part of the United States. So I went west uh, to the state of Michigan. And I had no plan. I had no, the only goal was get out of Philadelphia. So being out there and going through my hardships out there, I guess put me in a place where, you know, like you said, 
the realization is the world keeps churning. And I can't tell you how encouraging and discouraging that is at the same time. Because here I am, a part of the world, and I felt like the world could care less about the stuff that I was going through. Not just that, but then you see people who just seem so much. When you're in the deepest misery, you come across people who are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum of what you're experiencing. And they just seem so happy. And so their happiness just magnified even more my misery. So it was a very sobering thought and a very sobering realization maddening also to realize that people are still living their lives people still have their problems that they're dealing with people still have their joys and successes that they're enjoying irregardless of what i'm going through the world just keeps turning man what i do professionally right now i often find myself talking to not often but I do find myself talking to parents who have lost or who are in the process of losing their child. And when I was in training, I remember one of my colleagues said or shared the story of when he lost his grandmother, which was like to him, he lost his world that day. And he remembered, he shared that he remember being on the phone, being told that his grandmother had just passed. And in that particular moment, the mailman was outside his door and just dropped the mail through the door. And he recalls being on the phone and just watching the mail drop on the floor and making him realize that inside the home, his whole world had just shattered. But outside was an individual that was close to him who was as unaware as what was going on inside as anybody else, because he still had a route to make. He was still doing his job and he was most likely going to go home after he did his job to do whatever the heck he was going to do the rest of that day. Not stopping to ask him, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? How do you feel? How can I support you? Completely unaware. And so I often find myself sharing that story with, with these parents. And that was a realization that hit me in the face. And I have to say, dude, I think the way that that forced me to respond to my circumstances was probably where the genesis of that turning around began to happen because life was still going. I still needed to eat. I still needed to make something of myself. I still needed to find purpose in some way, shape, or form. And for some strange reason, although I'm carrying around this perception of myself as being worthless and useless and easily discarded and all of that jazz, there were still people who would see me and gravitate to me and pour into me outside of my asking for it, outside of my, for whatever their reasons were. Man, I got to give a shout out to my homie, 
Jeroni, who I needed to to come back to Philadelphia for something, and I was still in Michigan, and I had no dollars to my name, and he had just gotten paid. His wife was not in town; she had left, and I had made some some I had cooked something. And I put way too much salt <laughs> in that dish that I made that day. And so I called my man up and I was like, bro, you're the only one who I can call in this situation. This is what I need. This is this is what I need to do. I need to get back to Philadelphia, but I have no money to drive. If I drive back to Philly, I won't be able to come back to Michigan. And he said, how much money do you need? I told him ex- the exact amount that I needed to catch a train from Michigan to Philadelphia and to be able to come back. And he said to me, I just got paid. Let me take care of my bills and let me see what I got left. And then I'll hit you up in like a couple of hours. A couple of hours pass. He calls me and he said, bro, I am starving. I said, come to the crib. I got some food. It's salty, but you live. (laughs) So he came, he ate my salty food. I gave him like a big jug of water so that his blood pressure would drop. (laughs) And then he says to me, listen, man, if I give you this amount, I'm only going to have about $30 left to my name for the next two weeks, but I know you need it. So here it is anyway, and I'll figure out how to survive on $30 for the next two weeks until I get my paycheck. And he gave me the money to be able to buy a ticket to come to Philly and to go back to Michigan when he had no reason to. So what that allowed me to do was to make a decision, which I think was a crucial choice for me to make. Cal, this is how you are viewing and thinking of yourself. You're ugly. You're disgusting. You're a monster. You have no value. You are, I mean, all of the ways that I was feeling about myself, I, I named all of them. Yet you have people like your homie and this person and that person and this person and that person who are seeing you in a totally different way than you're seeing yourself. So which one are you going to buy into? And Matt, for the first time in my life, bro, I opened up and allowed other people, those people who are seeing me in a way totally different than myself, to pour into me and to appropriate for myself and begin to redefine who I am based on that little community. And when someone told me that they were proud of me, I no longer felt like I needed to push it away because how could you be proud of someone who was so disgusting? So I learned to live with my ugly definition of myself and it's it's still here to this day it's still here i don't ignore it i don't pretend that it doesn't exist you just embrace it i embrace it because that is that was characteristic of who i was or that is characteristic of who i was during that time period because of those circumstances but what i have done is to really lean into you know what 
so-and-so thinks highly of me. So let me lean into that. So-and-so thinks that I'm intelligent. So let me lean into that. So-and-so thinks that I'm caring. So let me lean into that. So-and-so, this person who I also hurt in the process of me being stupid and immature in college, had she was one of the first people to reach out to me and say, your Facebook posts are concerning to me. And I just want to know how you're doing. And that's all she wrote from since that moment that she reached out to me, our friendship has grown into something that transcends the bounds of friendship. Like this is someone who, if she says to me, I need a left arm to, to, to get by, I will offer her my left and right arm. So I started leaning into those people and into those perspectives and allowed them to redefine and to help me redefine who I wanted to be based on how I, I let them be a mirror of sorts, not so that I can see how ugly I was, but they were projecting an image about me that it was hard for me to accept, but I had to make the crucial decision to accept how they were reflecting back to me. And they also kept me in line. So they weren't like sugarcoating anything, but it was like, this is how we think of you. This is what you mean to us. And when I was able to plug into the fact that I still have value to other people, it was not just about this young lady. Oh man, that was life-giving. That, that's amazing. I think You've answered the question in terms of what was a turning point. And the turning point was when you noticed that just because one person or two people see you a certain way, which in fairness, they had a conflict of interest for why they would see you as a monster because it hindered their actual relationship. Toy Story 2, I think it is, mm -hmm. where you had, um, if anyone hasn't seen it, spoiler alert, Woody's an exclusive toy. They're trying to get um, all the toys together and some of them in packaging, some are not. Mm -hmm. But if you use that as an analogy and you say, right, there's a toy that's been played with and because he's been played with and he's been worn down, he feels worthless. He feels ugly. He feels discarded. He feels all those things that you associate yourself with, but other people going, no, you're loved. Yeah. That's why you look that way because I've played with you. Then you've got the, the doll that could be the exact same version, but in a box never been touched. Yeah. And it's thinking I'm worthless. No one loves me which quite the opposite is they are loved. That's why you haven't been taken out the package. Yeah. It's all about perception. And it's something that's very hard for us to understand because we don't know our own value more times than not without other people being a mirror for us to see what our value is. Yeah. A, you know, a dollar or a pound over in the UK doesn't know it's worth until we exchange it for something else. Facts. If we never exchange it for anything else, as far as it's concerned, it's worthless. And when you was talking about how we don't understand how our world is different to someone else's world, driving for me, I see that every day. I could see someone driving it on the phone and I'm ready to cuss them out, tell them about themselves, but I don't know. They might be rushing to go see their family member in the hospital that just collapsed or something else. So, you know, you make a decision and you don't know how bad your decision or how good your decision is until time progresses. So if you park somewhere and then next thing you know, you've got a runner, 
you got someone with a pram, you realize that your parking decision was either a right decision or a bad decision. Yeah. And that's something that where I'm very aware of how there's so many similarities or so many messages that you can get through just living life and being observant. And that is what I think the beautiful thing is about sharing these types of stories. It's letting people know that, yes, you're going through your stuff. Unfortunately, the world is still going on. <laughs> it, will, it will continue. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's both reassuring and at the same time quite hurtful because people will still just crack on with their day going, Kel, you good? Well, no, not really. I fe- oh, fella, I've only got two minutes to ask the question, really. Got a bounce. And it hurts. Mm-hmm. But you kind of appreciate they've got things to be doing. I will ask this question. If you could go back in time to the peak or when things were raw and you were spiraling and you was at the depth of whatever it is. I don't want to say depression, but whatever it was. Mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself then that you know now that will help you to hold on to the fact something better is coming? Knowing that myself then would not have been receptive to that piece of information or advice. One thing that I've learned over the years since that experience and through other experiences and has become foundational for me to help me get through different things that I've gone through since is that for as cheesy as it sounds, there will be a point, there will be a tomorrow where I will be on the other side of however uncomfortable, hurtful, painful this situation is. So I've actually taken the very jarring realization that the world keeps turning and that life is going to keep happening and appropriated that to say, to force me to answer this question, do I want to be part of that continuous churning and turn and, and, and movement of time, or do I want it to stop now? And if I want to keep being a part of it, then I'm not going to minimize how hurtful my situation is or my circumstances are, but I will endure that and go through that process as honestly and transparently and rawly as possible with the perspective that there will be a tomorrow where I'll be able to look at that period and say, boy, I am glad I'm on the other side of that until the next day comes with something else (laughs) for me to endure and keep that perspective that there will be a tomorrow where I'll be on the other side of that thing until the next day comes and so far and so forth. And you keep it going. Well, that's powerful. So if that's not an L, what would you call it? A lesson. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But I guess at the time, not all of us could say that. Some of yeah. us are in the trenches and we don't see it's a lesson. And even if it is a lesson, it's a lesson we don't want to have. Couldn't you t- taught me a different way? <laughs> yeah, it's it's life. I, 
I, I can't even say that's a lesson. That's just, that's just life. To think that life is not going to bring someone down to their knees is to live a life of fantasy. Yeah. But then unfortunately, depending on their upbringing, depending on how their parents or guardians have raised them, monocolored them maybe, potentially, we don't know. And I know the education system over here doesn't tell you how life really is. Neither does here. I do apologize. I don't want to keep joy. <laughs> we spoke about Will at the beginning. I'm going to talk about Chris at the end when he talks about taking his daughters to school and they're saying we don't have a zero tolerance for bullying. Mm. And he says, no, I need you to teach my child to deal with bullies. Hmm. And it's true because there's a lot of things that we need to get used to doing and get exposed to hmm. because not every day is going to be a high, not every day is going to be a low. Hmm. And we need to learn to navigate those spaces and times in a healthy way. And I think, again, like I said to you before at the top of this, that this platform or this project is a passion project for me. And it's just to highlight that I'm not here to preach to people to tell you how to better yourself or how to navigate those spaces, but it's to show you. And thankfully to people like yourselves who come on here and share your stories of instances in your life where things didn't go the way you wanted them to go, you've you've come out the other side. And through a series of stories for different people, people will understand that nothing about a caterpillar tells you it's going to be a butterfly. And that can be the same for your situation. Yes, the world's still spinning, but you know what? That's a good thing because it means that whatever hurt you then may not necessarily be the thing that hurts you going forward. Mm -hmm. You can grow beyond this. So let's wrap up this now. We'll do this follow-up episode when we got a minute. But yeah, do I let people know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Welcome to Fatherhood Pod. I am also on Facebook, Welcome to Fatherhood Podcast on Facebook. I don't have Twitter. Twitter's annoying. Yep. But yeah, you can also find the podcast, Welcome to Fatherhood Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically any podcasting platform except for YouTube. Well, thank you very much. And we'll go into your second L next episode. People, enjoy. Be patient. It's worth the wait. So I thought I'd just wrap this last one up and just say how much hearing someone talk about taking their own life over events that other people done is hurtful. And as much as I find it hurtful, I understand it because I've had suicidal thoughts as well. But I just want to further elaborate and say, talk to someone if you ever have those feelings, ever have those thoughts. A lot of us would rather spend time with you and hear your problems, hear your concerns, than to attend your funeral. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. There are a lot of things that you're probably going through that a lot of us cannot relate to, but it doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean that we won't try to show you that we care and that we can help or can support. So please, if you need help or support, feel free to reach out to a child that can support you. I'm happy for you to ping me an email, but I'll be honest with you, there's very little I can do in my capacity, but I'm happy to talk to whoever needs to be spoken to, but don't rely on me because I don't have necessary the, the time to get back to you or the qualifications to say the right things to you but be encouraged that you are not alone going through the struggles that life has to offer hence why this platform was created but do speak to someone and do get help there's nothing to be ashamed about feeling this way but i don't want you to feel that you're alone and that this is an option i want you to feel so comfortable talking to people that this is taken off the table 
there's no shame in talking to a therapist talking to a friend talking to a stranger but just talk to someone don't bottle it up because trust me there are a multitude of people out there that do care about you irrespective of how you feel right now because remember your right now is not your forever take care and i'll see you next episode Every L podcast. Every L podcast.